I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is DTC Growth Hacking with Rob McGray. Brought to you by Field Test. Advertising Simplified. Hey there, my name's Rob McGray, and this is DTC Growth Hacking presented by Field Test, a podcast that studies the new language of marketing that, like it or not, the world has seemed to embrace. Each episode, we talk to experts about their experiences, what they're seeing, and what to expect from direct-to-consumer trends in the future. A little bit of an update for everybody. We took a couple weeks off. I actually... Um, got involved with a, a, an additional company. It's called Titan Space, and I've taken a role there as the chief strategy officer, and I'm real excited. So I just wanted to share that with everybody because I like sharing. A uh, little bit about our guest today. He is uh, he's a very impressive individual, and you may have heard of him. His name is Sean Gold. He's basically been part of the internet before it became mainstream. He was a partner and founding publisher of a company called Weblogs, which you may be familiar with if you know popular blogs like Engadget or Joystick or Autoblog, which are, I think all of those are now part of Verizon, I believe. Um, He was the CMO of MySpace, which everybody knows, and he saw its massive growth from about 25 to 110 million users. Uh, He was also the CMO of Inside Studios, um, a content studio that generated you know, upwards of 100 billion views across YouTube and MSN. Uh, And he was also the head of brand partnerships at a company called Wattpad, which is now the world's largest storytelling. So if you don't, if you need more proof that that Sean knows what he's talking about, he's also been the CMO of Textile Fashion Group, CMO of Lowell Lowell Herb, uh, Herb Co., which is one of the fastest growing cannabis companies in North America. He's advised many other leading cannabis companies, including Mad Men, who could be considered the Apple store of cannabis, and Charlotte's Web, to name a couple. And finally, today, he's the founder and CEO of Pilgrim Soul, which is a mission-driven cannabis brand focused on optimizing, optimizing human creative performance to gain a competitive edge in business and in life. Whew, Sean. Your bio is like a history of the internet. Thanks for having me, Rob. I I, I was listening to my uh, work history and accolades, and I I still feel like an imposter for some reason. So maybe we can go through that. Also, we can figure wonder, out why. I I just I first of all I feel like I've heard your name has come up so many times in conversations, probably over the last two decades. Um, when anybody is talking about like serious marketing firepower, I feel like we've maybe crossed paths before and it just seems kind of surreal that finally we're doing this podcast, uh, you know, that, that is, is produced by our friend Peter Luttrell and, and Heather Luttrell. So it's cool. 
Yeah, I'm so I was looking at your uh, background on LinkedIn and was very surprised that we hadn't met before or trying to figure out where we met before. Yeah. I I feel like maybe I yeah, I'm going to I'm going to figure it out at some point. I want to say the Roosevelt that like a launch party, but we'll see. We'll see. Sean, I'm I'm we talked for full disclosure listeners, I always have a conversation with our guests beforehand and it's kind of an exploratory combo to to get to know them a little bit and find out um, the stories that 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 we think would really resonate with the audience and you know we were talking a little bit about all of this um, but I kind of wanted to start with the most recent endeavor which is pilgrim and just talk about what it what pilgrim's doing because it's super cool yeah so pilgrim soul is a brand I created as you said to optimize creative performance and you know creativity i believe is this essential skill that uh is becoming even more essential in this emerging world of ai and outsourcing it's one of the few things that humans do better than computers at least for the next 15 minutes maybe (laughs) um so i've created a bunch of different products um cannabis is one of the products i blend some of the most uh, some of the blends, uh, some of the top strains that index high for creativity, for different nuanced types of creativity, awareness and focus and uh, reflection and, and um, imagination. And then I also create a bunch of other products I mean, meant to be used while you're high to enhance the efficacy of cannabis and creativity. I have uh, these guided journals, uh, which have become a bestseller. Uh, right now, they're I think 700 out of all, out of like 48 million books, uh, number 700 out of 48 million books on Amazon today. Wow. And uh, I have another one that just came out. There's a partnership with Martin Lawrence and I have, I'm I'm building out games and uh, art supplies and different things again, you know, to enhance creative thinking. And it's important to differentiate creativity from creative thinking. And these are creative thinking journals that I create because anybody can do creative thinking. When you say creativity, people think about art or poetry or, you know, something like that. Storytelling. There are definitely subsets of creative thinking, but creative thinking is problem solving, putting previously existing ideas together in new ways, innovation, ideation, brainstorming. That's all creative thinking. So, my products and services and are, are really meant to op, you know help you really you know be better at your job be better at your life get more personal fulfillment through creativity yeah you know it's so funny i I've, i'm sure you've had this experience too you're at a company and there's a designated creative role and it's almost like saying to everyone else, like, well, none of you are creative, but this person or but this small team, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm on your side here where I believe that creative thinking is what is what got us where we are today um, and the achievements that we've had. And if you couldn't see something that didn't exist, you 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 wouldn't do anything. I mean, you might not even get out of bed. And so I feel like creativity starts the minute you, you wake up. Totally. I mean, create, like, I always point this, that creativity 
everything around you is creative. You know, like the microphone you're talking into, the chair you're sitting in, that was some creative project. Even like the cement, you know, it makes up my floor. Like at some point, you know, maybe in the 1500s or whenever cement was invented, they're like, let's put these two things together to make a more durable, longer lasting product. And that, you know, that is creative thinking. Jonas Salk and the polio vaccine, creative thinking, obviously Picasso, you know, also creative thinking, that's a little more, you know, what we think of. But generally, the, the standard definition of creative thinking is creating something new that has value. And certainly value is in the eye of the beholder. There are, you know, there are things that, you know, when it comes to art, certainly in poetry and things like that, when it comes to, a, you know, a great chair, obviously, <laughs> it's a little easier to define value. But there's, you know, the, the creative class in America, they, according, you know, there's a book I read in the year 2000 called Rise of the Creative Class and how we've gone from a, a, a an industrial age to an information age to a creative age. And our, our economy is propelled forward by creativity and technology. And the creative class in America is 38 million strong. And primarily it's people who make a living creating and innovating. And then the secondary group is people who make a living problem solving. So it's, you know, scientists and educators and computer programmers and can be lawyers and finance people, anybody who takes innovation in what they do, uh, improving process, you know, I'm pretty liberal in what is included in creative thinking. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really fascinating to me. Um, and, and like you, I've, I've witnessed this for the last couple of decades and to just watch going from a, 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 a situation where it felt like creativity had like, you know, maybe New York or LA had, had a stronghold on creativity, right? It was like, we were producing the content for the, you know, for everyone else. And now because in part the internet, everyone is creating content yeah. for each other. And I, I'm one of those people that the majority of my consumption is for video is YouTube, it's like do-it-yourself videos. It's like really niche, like nerdy stuff that somehow other people like. And uh, I even, I even enjoy um, a, a, a channel called the Hornet King, which is a gentleman who goes out and collects like bees um, when when you have an infestation. So I've learned more about bees through this than, and I, I guess, and it's funny. I know this all sounds pretty stonerish, but but this idea that you know. I mean, when I was a kid, if I wanted to know about like music, I listened to the radio or I read Rolling Stone. And I can remember at some point there was like Rolling Stone would put out like the top 100 albums of like the 70s. And that just became my list to go out to a record store and start to buy these and try to, you know, connect the dots between all of these different artists and, and genres. And But there weren't there was no internet. You had magazines and you had your friends or maybe like an older brother. And uh, it's just so fascinating to me how much has changed uh, over the last, over the last 20 years in terms of how we get our information and, and what we get excited about. You know? Oh, totally. I, I mean, so much has changed. It used to be that, you know, creativity was certainly LA and New York, but there was other uh, creative hubs, like even, well, certainly around universities, and there still are. You have Pitts, you know, Pittsburgh. Generally, it's like there's some outdoor space, an outdoor community. Generally, the more creative areas have a strong gay community. 
like San Francisco, Austin. Um, but as you said, the internet has democratized creativity, the access to tools, people, ideas, information has made creativity is happening every, anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's great to be around other creative people in a physical way. So, you know, my son was just applying to colleges and he was applying, he was really strong in computer science and he was applying to the top computer science schools in America, got into Berkeley and, you know, which is a great computer science school. Yeah. But he, you know, he wasn't getting into a lot of schools and because it was just a crazy year. And I was like, you know, no matter where you go, you'll be successful because you have curiosity and drive. And that's kind of what you need to win in this world. Um, but still, it's a nice advantage to be at Berkeley with other people who have amazing curiosity and drive and be in the same room with them. A lot happens, you know, when you're in the same room with someone. Yeah. It's just, there's this, you know, we know that now from Zoom, you know, from not being in the room with our fellow employees. A lot more creativity happens serendipitously when we're riffing off other people live and in person. There's things that happen with, you know, word choice yeah. and intonation and body language and all these things that you can't get on on video. Right. So I agree that, you know, the internet has certainly democratized creativity, but there's this certain something that happens from just human interaction at the same time. Yeah. It's, I, I did an offsite last week with some colleagues and we did four days in an Airbnb during the day together, like six people. And, and I hadn't, I mean, it'd been two years since I did anything like that. And the amount of, I would say, work that was produced over those four days was was momentous um, compared to the the way, way we work today. And I know that everyone's having this debate about remote versus office work and hybrid models and all this, but I can say that I, I believe people are more productive creatively when they are spending time together and they are seeing each other and, and, and feeling the energy of one another. And that's something that's hard to convey over, over zoom or, or whatever. Yeah. I've never been to an offsite that I wanted to go to that. I didn't think it was a waste of time. And I've never been to an offsite where I actually thought I was completely wrong by the end of the offsite where I was like, Oh, I'm so glad we did this. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're they're. I think they're, they can, they can be moving and, you know, and, and again, you're, the work that we all do is, is about relationships and building those relationships with the people you work with and building that trust. And it's, it's just a different way of doing it in person. And, uh, you know, for all the greatness that the internet has provided us. And I think, I mean, imagine if the pandemic hit and we didn't have the internet and the isolation would have been, would have been dangerous, more dangerous for people. And, uh, but, but there are some benefits to, to, to the face to face, Sean, you've been, you, you've seen so much, um, throughout the, the, the early phase of your career, cause you're a young guy. So you've got plenty of time to do, to do more great stuff, but what's, what are the big momentous moments that, you know, really made you step back and say, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Like, holy shit. <laughs> it was funny. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of them because like I've only been involved with businesses that didn't exist that many of them became really changed 
social dynamics and the way we live. I remember, but there's this funny moment. I, I was at a, blog, a website called word.com in 1995. And we did, we were the first to do these like animated ads. Um, these, so we used this, the, we were the first to do interstitials and we had something called this meta refresh, which was like taking advantage of a flaw in the Netflix browser. And it would, it would like load in the middle of two pages. Um, so that was kind of interesting. But I remember the first time there was this company called Obsolete in in uh, London that was doing shockwave ads. And I remember someone bringing like a, a like we were all standing around a computer, you know, with like a 28.8 or 56K dial up. And be like, look, someone was like, look at this, it moves. And it was like a GIF animation that was just going back and forth. And we were, everyone was like, so fascinating. This is a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. And then, you know, like the social networking in MySpace was obviously a big game changer. There was, you know, what I loved about and it. And we even, you know, we, we talk about all the, the negatives of Facebook and um, today, obviously, in the news, there's a lot of great things that Facebook has done. Now, I think the issue with Facebook is there's people are showing that there's like, you know, nefarious intentions. We made a lot of mistakes at MySpace, but it was really about they weren't necessarily nefarious. We were like we had this lightning in a bottle and we were trying to just grab hold of it and set rules around it and not destroy the world while we enhance the world. And there was you, know, you had like the the gay kid in, you know, it was the suburbs of Denver who was isolated and, you know, potentially suicidal and now he was connecting with like-minded people and he wasn't a freak and he was normal and he, you know, connected and you know, we saved social networking have saved, saved tons of lives by bringing people out of their isolation, um, connecting people tremendous. You know, I, I was checking out of long-term parking at the airport at LAX and I gave her my credit card at the booth and she's like, MySpace. There's a lot of freaks on MySpace. I was like, yeah, yeah, a lot of freaks. I met my husband on MySpace. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Like, was, but I heard so many stories about that and businesses that are started on social media. And we taught so many people how to use HTML on MySpace. And, you know, definitely we were also on, to, you know, there was also a lot of legislation that came out about social networking at the same time and, you know, we were trying to say, you know, don't put, your, hey, kids, don't put your personal information online. Like, like you teach it, you know, your child not to touch a hot stove. And now you have to teach them the rules of the Internet and privacy. So it's this evolving thing and it continues to evolve. And, I'm, you know, there's many mistakes that Facebook made. We made that they didn't even know were possible as mistakes. Yeah. So I'm, a, I'm diverting here. Um, another, another first was blogs. You know, I was really early in the blog space and putting one of the first to put ads in blogs. And we were thinking, you know, how do we create advertising that doesn't detract, that adds value to the community instead of detracting from the community? Um, and we did a lot of different things to do that. Um, the, but then you also, you know, we were all excited because blogs were the democratization of information. Now, anybody, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to rely on 
you know, ABC News or the, the people who had access to, you know, broadcasting. Now anybody can do it. But that's also kind of gone south in a lot of ways because this democratization of information has become the, de, you know, really the democratization of misinformation in some sense. Yeah. And fake news and all those issues we have now. So I don't know what the answer is. I, you can't go backwards. You know, when people talk about, oh, it used to be like this or this, you know, I never get involved in those conversations. I like I'm all about how can we optimize the future? I can't go talking about how it used to be because that's just it. You know, it doesn't make it doesn't help. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I always thought like it was it's always been fascinating to me that the the Internet started, you know, you know, essentially by governments and schools and it wasn't until it got into the private sector and people started to figure out ways to make money that it really started to explode quick right and once you had private industry involved like you just saw um you know not only all of this innovation and all of these new ideas um and even you're talking about you know being able to you know, leverage a, a quirky bug in a browser. Um, like people got really creative about how to leverage this thing. Um, and I think a lot of people, a lot of brands got creative about how to, how to sell themselves online. And so many industries made the mistake of, of not getting involved early. And it, and it, you just see it kind of happen over and over again. Right. You see it happen with, you know, it happens at the beginning of the Internet. It happens with social media because think about it, it wasn't the brands who came first. Maybe the music industry embraced MySpace early. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and I, I want to give them credit for that because they saw it as like a place to to, you know, harvest fans and create a communication between artists and fans yeah. that, that was very special and didn't really exist. Um, but that was every- definitely part of the growth of MySpace. We we saw that happening. We built tools. This, the viral coefficient for bands building uh, you know pages on MySpace was exceptional. So we leaned into that and built band tools, and it became really one of the most significant places for music in in, in that time for yeah. discovery of music. For like so many people launched their careers on MySpace. Arctic oh, Monkeys, Sean Kingston, Billy Taylor. I mean, also the the studios, the labels couldn't keep up. They weren't they weren't going to build that infrastructure, right? What they were doing, like probably around that time, you know they they were template they had templates for basically okay, every band gets like a page, and then you've got like this is what the page is made of. And there wasn't a lot of ways to communicate. And I thought MySpace was the first time you really saw like that relationship start to happen, which, you know, and, and which people want with artists. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I think music is very much about tribes and early on I saw, I was overseeing MySpace music and early on I saw, um, that, People, it's all about access and different levels of the tribe and that the song is really a marketing tool that less and less would you make money off the song and more and more you'd make money off ancillary services, being it touring or, you know, at the time I had this idea, like, let's like sell, like, you know, create a thousand bracelets with a USB, which was the available technology that has the, the album in it and 
you know, like only a thousand people have this and 10,000 people get this. And, and then let's list the name of everyone, like the official on your website or on your MySpace page, let's list all the fans names, you know, and like you're officially registered as like a fan of the band. And I think what the next level of that is NFTs mm-hmm. where you have like, it's this sort of, I, you know, this iconic registry of fandom for an artist or a band or, you know, any kind of art or any kind of content. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was digging, I was digging through records the other day at my house and I found I had, uh, you know, an original pressing of mind games on, on the Apple label, um, John Lennon mind games. And, and, and I'd forgot I had it. And I was like, well, what other like original Apple records do I have? And, you know, I have the white album and I was pretty excited about that too. And, and I remember, I remembered being a, a, a young person when I, when I got, when I um, bought those and feeling much more connected to the band. And again, this is back in like the eighties. Um, it's pre MySpace, but I always thought, man, if I was that age and I had a way to be more a part of the club, like I can only imagine how far I would have got sucked in because I was so excited about, you know, this feeling of being closer, you know, of having something special and unique and knowing that not everybody could have it. Totally. And I think probably part of that was your like knowledge about the band and the insights and, you know, the ability to discourse on the nuance of your artist and the songs, you know, kind of like my son discourses on Marvel. You know, he's like, a, you know, go in, in concert with his computer science, you know, uh, intelligence. He is a Marvel aficionado. And also does uh, uh, what's that role playing game that uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Dragons? Yeah. So, but he's like he's prides himself on you know his Marvel fandom and the nuance of what he knows, and I think that was part of it then, and obviously it's still part of it now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's why these comic books have done so well as you know, kind of you know recreating themselves in a way with all this technology, but they've got such vast catalogs of characters and stories and it goes back like 40, 50, 60 years of material that you can pull from. Um, and, and so I'm going to lead into my next, my next question about a different phase of your career, but you know, you've, you've kind of watched Wattpad um, turn into something substantial. And I, I was just reading the other day about another, property that was um licensed based on a, a, a wattpad story and uh which is which is a whole other dynamic of creativity that that i think people um forget is still is still an important one which is the written word just people writing i know i never would have started that company wattpad i met them uh i met I guess the GM of Wattpad at a party in Los Angeles. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, we have like 18 million active users and we're adding 30,000 a day. And those were like MySpace numbers or Facebook numbers. I was like, I haven't heard of anything scaling this fast in a long time. I think there's probably like 65, sorry, 18 million, 65 million active users on the platform now, maybe more. It's a global thing. It's huge in um, the Philippines and you know, it's at the time it was mostly young girls sharing fan fiction, and there was this uh, 
uh, a girl on the platform, Anna, I forgot Anna's last name. She's actually an investor in uh, Pilgrim Soul. Um, but she she had this story that I mean, she was a like she worked at a, a waffle pancake house and I, I, she had two jobs. I forgot what the other one was. And like on her bus ride to work, she was writing fan fiction on her phone and she ended up getting over a billion views when I was there. It's probably close to two billion reads of this story. And you write it in chapters, it's serial, you don't have to, you know, so you, you start it and people just want to, can't wait for the next chapter. And then I introduced her to a friend of mine um, or uh, who makes movies and she just made uh, He's All That. She also made She's All That. Um, but they, mer- they turned, uh, you know, they basically licensed this story from Wattpad and made, made after uh, the series, the after series. Mm-hmm. And it's been, that's been a huge hit, a big money maker. Then there's been tons and tons of stories that have come out of Wattpad. Um, yeah. And they have a built in audience, which is another huge thing. What was really interesting is that she did a deal with Random House to publish this story that was free on the internet. And they didn't take it off the internet. They left the whole, the unedited sort of, you know, raw story on Wattpad. And then they published it in Random House and it became a, an international bestseller. Even though it was free on the internet, people wanted the hard copy. It was like number one in Italy, number one, it was like number one in 13 different countries. Um, and it's, you know, it's not uh, Chaucer, you know, it's, it's, it's more like shades of gray yeah. kind of content. Uh, but it was, it's unbelievable that what was really unbelievable about that stuff is you you just, the things you think, you know, are not necessarily true. The things you think will work, don't work. Like even now I'm advertising on Facebook, spending a bunch of money promoting my, my journals. And I, you know, I have friends who are like, Hey, you're really successful on Facebook and they're smart marketers. And like, how do I use it? And you know, how do I target? And like, you know how you target on Facebook? You just like put adults 18 plus or whatever your audience is like, you know, um, USA and let Facebook figure out the audience. I've, I've been trying to outsmart the Facebook algorithm for about a year, like going, you know, by finding things I would do in traditional marketing. You know, like, oh, let's go for women 25 to 54 uh, who like squirrels. You know, we know they buy our product. And None of that. I mean, some of it I've gotten decent results, but I've just not been able to feed to beat the Facebook algorithm. And my, you know, smart marketing friends are really, you know, who aren't familiar with the platform and not using the platform really have trouble. They think, you know, they're like, I don't want to waste any money. Like, it's really, it's, there's a lot of, it's just really unbelievable how efficient this thing can be. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been critical of Facebook. Um, mainly for for some of the nefarious stuff we talked about, but but I really can't denounce the platform that they built. It's quite amazing and powerful, and like nothing else we had seen. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's doing what they're doing as well as they do it. There's a reason they have so many users, and there's a reason that companies like Pilgrim continue to serve ads there because they work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. You have to do it ethically, yeah. as ethically as you can. But, uh, you know, we're putting a product into the marketplace that helps people 
that enhances people's lives. So you have to balance like, are you you're advertising in this potentially nefarious platform and giving them money, but you're also, you know, connecting with people and helping them enhance their lives with your product. So what's the balance there? Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah. So Sean Pilgrim is described as like um, a mission driven brand. And I, I, I'm not saying that MySpace didn't have a mission or um, Wattpad because clearly everybody has a mission. But can we talk a little bit about why um, having a mission is so important to you as the founder of this company? So, yeah, this is a bunch of reasons. You know, the from a marketing perspective, you know, people buy products from companies that believe what they believe. So if you don't know what you believe, it's really going to be an inefficient experience in connecting with customers. And we live in this totally transparent world, also brought on by the Internet. So people know that, you know, authenticity is really essential. Um, you got to believe what you what you're working on. And, and it becomes so much easier. Marketing becomes easier recruiting people becomes easier when you have a, you know, when you have a mission, especially if it's a mission that they believe in and they want to align with, you know, not many people get paid to think about the things they like to think about on a daily basis. You know, they might be in the accounting department of a cool company or, you know, so you, you want, as far as recruiting people and get people and keeping people, having a mission is essential because now they're on board. You're all working towards the same goal. Ours is about trying to make an impact on creativity and help people. So, I, you know, 
it's easier when I find people who believe in that mission, it's a lot easier to bring them on. Um, and then also all your marketing becomes so much easier. Um, you know, it just, this, your storytelling, publicity, you know, everything becomes so much more simple if you have a true north for your brand. Yeah. Um, it just all comes together. And sometimes that even starts with like a tagline. You know, very often you'll come up with a tagline that's like everything emanates from that, those three words or those two words. My, you know, I sat with this investor the other day and he was like, what are the, give me two words to describe what you're, you know, what you're doing. And I was like, I mean, generally that's, it would be hard. I, but I, you know, the two words were for me were creative performance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that really everything we do is about creative performance, helping people tap into their, their own, their innate creativity. Um, you know, we're all born creative. We kind of just lose it based on expectations, you know, fear of mistakes, fear of judgment, not, you know, uh, relying on default thinking, lack of sleep, <laughs> all these different things kill our creativity. So I'm, I'm diverting a little bit from the, the question about mission. Uh, but, you know, just knowing who you are, what you stand for and your role in society makes business so much easier to operate and so much more pleasurable, you know, to that end. Yeah. I like, I like those two words, creative performance. And I find it ironic, um, you know, being someone who grew up uh, while cannabis was, you know, regarded bad for you, illegal. um, And, you know, and, and yet I sensed all along from the time I was very young that, that this is something that you could, you could leverage in a way to help you. Right. And, and I think a lot of people actually who are very young do use it. Um, it's, it's almost like a medicine to them, you know, to help them cope or to help them deal or help them go to sleep, whatever it is. And, and, but it was, it was so off limits to talk about because you couldn't like go to somebody and say, Hey, I'm using cannabis for this. And I want to make sure it's okay. Like, I mean, is there a better way to optimize this experience? I mean, because it was, it was not something that you could tell your parents. And it's ironic to me that today, now we have companies like yours that are actually helping people, you know, leverage cannabis in a very productive, positive way um, that, that, you know, is not only inspirational, but, but helps people find focus around the problems that they're trying to solve. To me, it's amazing that we've come this far, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, anything, cannabis can be bad, alcohol can be bad, food can be bad. You know, uh, moderation is uh, probably the key to everything. And one of the things we've learned about creativity and cannabis is that low dose uh, really is is the optimal experience. That it's about enhancing reality, not being reality itself. You know, and what cannabis does for creativity is it lights up the frontal lobe, gets those neurons firing in a more uninhibited way. So you're producing the idea production is greater. Another key variable in what it does in the brain is it, it suppresses an area of the brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is the judgment area of the brain. So when you have sort of ideas popping and judgment repressed, you're going to have a bunch more ideas. 
they will be a lot of bad ideas too. Like it doesn't mean that all your ideas will be good ideas. It just means you'll be more creative producing more content and better to have 10 ideas than no ideas or two highly inhibited ideas. And, you know, for me, I get like one gem out of about 10 or, or a kernel of an idea that I can mold into something better. Um, but it helps me make those non-linear connections that I wouldn't ordinarily make. Um, it helps me see things symphonically, like see the big picture and step back. Helps me empathize with other people, maybe my wife or even a target audience I'm trying to reach. What would they feel? What would they think? You know, I, it helps me focus or go really deep inside a problem and concentrate on that problem. And, and as I said, you know, just come up with silly, divergent thinking What's really important um, in ideation and brainstorming and even using cannabis is not to judge yourself uh, when you are high and coming up with ideas. Just write them down. Like, wait to do your convergent thinking later. Right. Wait to judge yourself later. And even that'll even get you out of paranoia and other things that sometimes people feel. Um, just don't. You know, only the insane take themselves seriously, especially when they're high. So, so like that. <laughs> that's my advice. That's, that's pretty good advice. Did you ever? Did you ever see like, let's go back twenty years, and you're looking towards the future? Did you think, you know, someday I'm going to have a creative performance cannabis company? No, no. <laughs> I didn't, but. But I'm talking to investors now. They're like, well, you know, there's a key man issue here in this company. Key man issue, for those who don't know, is like investors are worried that what happens if you leave the company? Like, you know, is the company going to survive? And like, it's a cannabis company focused on creativity. Like, why would I leave? This is the company I imagined, you know, uh, when I was 15 years old. Yeah. It was, you know, an exceptional dream of an idea. Like, I couldn't think of a better uh, a better idea. Like you have to worry about me not selling it because I don't want right. to stop doing it. Yeah. That's probably the, the biggest worry you should have. Sean, how did, how did you, how did you kind of transition from what I would call um, mainstream tech or things that became mainstream to, to the cannabis industry? And I, I know you've, you've, as I said before, you've been, you've done work with mad men, uh, mad men and, uh, Charlotte's Web and others, but how did that transition happen? Well, I've used cannabis for creativity my whole life. And I've been that, I mean, it's funny because even when I'm not high, I, I never really use cannabis at the office. I use it usually after, but I, I, people always, people are like, are you always high? More the way I think and the way I act. Uh, people always thought I was high, but I, I actually was not. Um, but, I've, so, but I, I do use it like to go through ideas and get a second opinion for myself, usually after work. Um, but so I've, my work history has definitely evolved cannabis and creativity, working on these, these companies that previously didn't exist and systems and structure that previously didn't exist and having to imagine it. So I very authentically have incorporated that in my life. And... And again, I've worked on companies, you know, everything I've done, like uh, subscription fashion or blogs, usually there was no business model before that. 
So when the cannabis company was cannabis industry was starting to evolve, I was excited to get involved with it. One because of my authentic relationship to it. Two, I wanted to help shape the industry. It was you know I get really bored when the rules are already in place. So this was a new system that needed to be created. The rules are still evolving. I wanted to be part of creating those rules. And I also wanted to protect an industry that I loved and a product that I love. I didn't want, you know, bad actors getting in here. You know, there are some clearly you can have, you can help that, but you know, all boats rise with the tide. And if, if also if someone makes really drastic mistakes in this, fragile business that's somewhat legal, um, you know, it hurts everybody. So I wanted to be part of the group of people that were elevating the integrity of the cannabis experience. And part of that is like my brand, which is purpose-driven recreational. The medicinal stuff's pretty easy. And that certainly set the tone, you know, things like Charlotte's Web, which were helping kids with, um, you know, seizures and really in a dramatic way, changing that can of kids, which, you know, was working with kids and, and cannabis, I mean, and cancer, there's some really great stories about real impact. But when, as you cross the bridge from medicinal to recreational, I wanted to be part of that, again, purpose-driven recreational, where people enhance their lives through cannabis, not necessarily having some kind of a medicinal effect, but optimize their experience on this planet, whether it helps them be more present and enhance their relationships or enhance them with creativity or focus or imagination or reflecting and understanding who they are better. All those things that can come from cannabis. I wanted to be part of that movement. So I, you know, all everybody needs marketing and insight. So with Charlotte's Web, which was the first company I started helping, you know, they wanted to they wanted to understand California. They wanted they needed a little help with marketing, and then MedMen also needed help with SEO and different things. And I I connected with them. I invited the CEO of MedMen to a party at my house for um, for um, Charlotte's Web and Paige Figgy, Charlotte's mom, was speaking and that, like had everybody crying with this amazing story about her child, Charlotte, and. And it was it was it was an upscale event where we had sommeliers sort of in between courses. We didn't have uh, cannabis in the food, uh, but we had we were passing around different strains and in between courses and talking about them and their effects. And Adam Bierman from MedMen was like, "This is like what I envisioned. This is like he, he was kind of blown away because he hadn't he had thought about this um, normalizing cannabis, but he hadn't seen it in such a dramatic way." And so we became friendly and I helped him with a bunch of different stuff. And then a Lowell Herb Company was a, you know, was also a, one of the, probably the best packaging cannabis and maybe still today. Um, I was helping them. A guy I knew from tech started that and he asked me to help join them as this, their CMO. I, and so I did and helped them scale the business a bit. But I did a collaboration. I, I bought Cannabis Creativity Month and a bunch of URLs around cannabis and creativity because I just I saw it as a huge opportunity. And then I did this collaboration with Notorious B.I.G.'s son. Um, and we I gave him like seven different strains that index high for creativity, said smoke them, rank them, tell me your favorites. And we picked three. We made this blend 
Uh, and then we also gave a portion of the proceeds to the California Prison Arts Project. And we sold you know, 10,000 packs in a week or so. It was this smash hit. So I saw product market fit in that. And then that's how I went and launched Pilgrim Soul. Pilgrim Soul is a comes from a Yates poem. Yates was a cannabis user. And um, he, he actually, they ate hash or some form of hash. He and Monet back in Paris in the, you know, 1880s or 90s. And he, he writes about it. Um, but he wrote this poem that I used to seduce my wife uh, called When You Are Old. And it's got four lines uh, to it. I'll read them. I'll share them with you. He goes, how many loved your moments of glad grace? You loved your beauty with love false or true. But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and love the sorrows of your changing face. So Pilgrim Soul in the context of my brand is like the native creative explorer that is born inside of all of us. That is like this essence of who we are, this discovery, being this spiritual traveler. And, you know, it's the brand is not about teaching people to be creative as much as it is reawakening that Pilgrim Soul that's inside of everyone that we were, you know, you're, we're all born creative. There's, there's this famous study by George Land from the 1960s. I don't know if you're familiar with that. He's a, he was hired by NASA to identify their most creative scientists to put them on innovation projects. And he created this test based on divergent thinking, again, sort of ideas without judgment. And he gave the same test to 1,600 kindergartners in the 1960s, and 95% of them te- tested expert-level creative five-year-olds. He tested them again in the sixth grade at 10 years old and 30% of them tested expert level creative. By the time they were 15, 5% of them tested expert level creative. You know, and they, like, nothing happened other than education and expectations. And we, we sort of breed creativity out of people. And so that's really the premise of my brand is like teaching people to unlock the, or unlearn the things and again, some of the top things are judgment, fear of risk, not going with your gut. Um, and challenge. one of my favorite things is really challenging default thinking and also negative bias. As we get older, we tend to develop a negative bias. You know, we look to break down ideas instead of building up ideas. That won't work. That won't work. We challenge new things because they're harder. Yeah. You know? um, but default thinking is something that I try not to get caught up in, you know, we, we, we learn things, we know things when someone asks us a question, like we have that wrapped up in the back of our mind we throw it out there. We're less open to bringing new ideas to change that opinion because it requires more work or we've, you know, we just feel like we've, (laughs) we already rely on what we already know. So I've always been someone who like, my goal was to challenge perspective, like to, rattle my own cage to, you know, if I, everything I know is a jumping off point to another idea. Should new information come in, I am apt to change that, my opinion. Um, so anyway, that, I forgot what the original question was. I, I, got, I, I just got taken away on a journey with you just there. I, I, I'm spacing because I just, I just feel like you came down from the mountaintop and told me all the things that were going on in my head that I was unaware of. So thank you for that. <laughs> Wow. I, I, I loved, um, 
I loved this idea of the normalization of cannabis. I remember the first time I went to a, a MedMen, the one in downtown, and and it I felt I felt exclusive, and I felt rich, and I felt like this was the most normal thing you could do at the high end, and and it was and it and it was such it was done so well, and so I have to give a shout out to you and the team because that was. You, you achieved what you were trying to do with that store for me. Yeah, I mean, I can't take any credit for that. I, I, I was sort of an interloper there uh, as far as the design and the experience. The But they did a really great job of, as you said, normalizing the cannabis, normalizing the cannabis experience and elevating the integrity of the cannabis experience. You know, initially when I was talking to Adam, you know, he was like, we want to make it accessible for like the Chardonnay mom. He changed that language after that, I, it, but that was like an early thought, like mom who like has that Chardonnay, you know, after at the end of the day, we want to, you know, her to feel comfortable coming into a med men store. And, you know, still in the early days, women were not as comfortable shopping for cannabis. I don't know the exact reason why we could probably sort through that, but they, that was like their goal. If women can come in here and feel comfortable shopping for cannabis, then, you know, we've really accomplished what we set out to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they, I'd say they, they've, they've won on that front for sure. I, I remember, you know, I have stock in MedMen. So I was, I read their investor decks and even with all their problems, they had like 13 stores and it was still 7% of cannabis sales in California. This was, you know, like a year and a half ago. So I don't know if that number still stands, but um, that's like, there's 900 cannabis stores in California. So 13, 7% is definitely a long way away from, I mean, you know, 7% in sales with only 13 stores is, was pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean, I, I can remember, um, you know, there was a dispensary pre, pre-recreational legalization that, that I, someone turned me on to and basically I, I guess it was I can't remember the term but somehow there was some loophole so I was able to to buy cannabis there um, and I guess it was like a collective or something I can't remember exactly but but and it was the place was fine so don't get me wrong but I did feel dirty and I was always <laughs> nervous and I always felt like someone was gonna get shot it was just it was just a, a pretty upsetting experience overall um, right, the security guard with the gun. Yeah, like out, like right there, and you, you know, you you wait in this one room, and then they bring you behind. You don't right. know what's behind the door, and I could see if I was like a, you know, even me. I mean, I was scared. I could see if I was a woman, I wouldn't. What's behind there? I don't know what's going on here. This is yes, totally. This feels sketchy to me, and so MedMen being able to recreate and reprogram us. Um, by creating an experience that was incredibly positive. Uh, and, and I just thought it was so well done. I, I, love, I love the mission of creative performance. I love, like I think of Pilgrim Soul now, my translation is that it's, a, it's like a guide. It's the way I, what I've taken away. Like I want to take that, I want to have that experience because I want to be guided in a way through a positive experience. Um, you know, like I, I am prone to being paranoid, so I have to be careful which strains I, I take in. But uh, you know, but I've never thought about like addressing that paranoia. <laughs> like, like I just assumed it was like that was me. 
know? Yeah, you know, that's one of the, I, I really try to hedge against that because that's like, I think one of the biggest enemies of uh, cannabis adoption. And, and I, that's why edibles can probably the most dangerous because it's easy to overdose on edibles. Um, but like paranoia, you know, you, you have a lot of people who say, you know, I tried cannabis in high school and, you know, or college and I got paranoid and I haven't tried it since. Or So I think guiding people, not only about dosage, you know, you can always smoke more, you can't load, smoke less. So using low dosage, um, but also how to handle themselves when they do feel a little bit paranoid. Like even I, you know, uh, an experienced cannabis user, have sometimes feel like I smoke too much and I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. And what I do is I, I drink water, I drink some water, I, I breathe, I do not judge myself. I'm, you know, as I said, like, like I, like you're high, you know, you're, this is not exactly who you are. Just right. <laughs> relax, like give yourself 20 minutes to catch the wave and, hundred percent of the time I do catch the wave and I have a great time on the, on the, you know, on the other end, on the other end, or even not even the end, but you know, in the middle. Um, but I think helping people uh, manage themselves when they're think that when they're judging themselves a little too much and, and this goes for, I don't know, the cannabis, but micro dosing and things like that. I was listening to this Michael Pollan podcast the other day and he was giving, it was an interesting tip, which I hadn't really thought about. Like if you're having a bad trip, you know, or you see like a monster, the technique to, to deal with that is run toward the monster, like run through it, run through the experience, not run away from it, but run through it and go into it. And that sort of dissipates it. And I was like, Oh wow, that makes total sense. But I really hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but but I think these what was really helpful, uh, and maybe you should do an episode on it, is like techniques to to uh, you know optimize your cannabis experience, both good and bad. Yeah, yeah. I I, I like I, I've never heard that either. I I, I love Michael Pollan. He's so I'm reading his book right now, but I've never heard that idea of just run right into it. Um, but that's what you but that's what you do in life anyway. You know you. You're supposed to address your fears. Hey, can we yeah. play? Can we play a little game? Um, so, so I'm gonna. Ch- I, I I prepped you on this a little bit. I'm gonna change it slightly. So, okay. two words. So, you have creative performance for your company. Can we do two words for the following companies? Right. Okay. This is gonna be okay. Okay. You gotta get. You got your marketing hat on. Cause here we go. I got to be lucid here. It's like a Rorschach test yes. for words. All right. So Facebook, or is there known now? Meta. Two words. Efficient communication. Ah, that's a nice one. That makes them sound good. Yeah, I like that. They are efficient. They are efficient. What about what about Tesla? Art and technology. Like I look at that as like, again, mobile art and technology is really what, what I think Elon is trying to accomplish there. Yeah. I know we both have Teslas and I'm a big fan. So I'm, I'm all, I'm all over that one. What about, what about Apple? Stylistic computing. They do have a lot of style. I'm excited about that new MacBook pro, by the way. Um, 
I'm, I don't have one yet, but I'm going to get one. What's different about it? Oh, it's, uh, it's the, the new Apple chip um, has many GPU cores that are very efficient, and this thing can encode video like nobody's business. Um, you know, and, and, and all the other things that they've kind of become really good at, like the battery life, cool factor, um, heat control. I'm just, I'm just nerdy for that. Um, what about Disney? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Bambi's mom. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really worried. I'm kind of worried about Bambi's mom. I haven't seen her in any movies and, you know, I don't know where really know where she is. The, uh, but I, I, every time I think of Disney, I think about moms, you know, moms dying in early, you know, early in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I know Disney is such a conglomerate. I mean, I would, if I was them, I would probably say family entertainment. Yeah. But that's funny. I just watched. I just watched a, a Marvel movie two nights ago. It's like Shang Chi, I think, and the mom dies. Uh, spoiler: His mom dies. And it, it was like, wow, they just love killing moms. You're right. I never thought of that before. <laughs> they do. They just love to kill moms. That's not very nice of Disney. Um, what about, what about, I don't know if you, if you have, like in LA, we have either Edison or the LA DWP. What, yeah. would, what would the two words for LA DWP be? Um, LA DWP was power. It's like, Powering your life, maybe, or something. I mean, there's three words, but I think, you know, the thing about something like LEDWP is like, in the best case scenario, you never think about it. It just turns on like automatic automation or something. You know, it's like, it just, like, I have, I, I, I carrying all my books, I was selling so many of them, I was carrying them upstairs. We were shipping some from my office, and I hurt like my hip, uh, it ended up being my back, but I hurt my hip. And then I, I've been going to this sort of physical therapist thing. And they were like, it's a kind of an innovative thing. It's this, uh, this sort of elliptical thing you get on. And they're like, in like three weeks, you'll forget you had a problem. And so I, I mean, and that's really the goal when you have an injury is like to f- not remember that you had one. And I think that's like with with power company, it's like to never think about the power company, except when you pay the bill. Like it just comes on, it lights everything up. You like hidden, I guess. Like invisible energy. Yeah, yeah something like that. Well, I'll have to work on that. I need to, I'm, not, I'm not high right now. I need to. Okay, you need to get creative. I need to get a smoke some weed and come up with some taglines here. Sean, what's the best way for people to learn more about the the products or um, you know, or actually get the products? Well, at pilgrimsoul.com, it's probably the easiest answer. There's a link to our cannabis website, which is a different website. Um, all the different products we have. And we have a bunch of content too, like insights about creativity, um, stories, some of the history of cannabis and creativity. It's mostly about creativity. I'd say only about 20% of the content is about cannabis and creativity. But we also list some of the best strains for creativity and for different nuanced types of creativity. There's about four different articles about cannabis and creativity, how to use it. And then again, different strains for creative focus, creative imagination, creative reflection, creative awareness. Yeah. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to connect with me professionally, Sean Gold, S H A W N. Yeah, 
Sean, I, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I feel very enlightened right now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go to the website because I want some books. Uh, and I'm being sincere because I, I really want to do this. And, and in my mind, it's guided. I want to do the guided creative experience with, with you guys. Um, and uh, I mean, this is just awesome. Congratulations on all the all the amazing career achievements and uh, on the new company because it, and, and I love how passionate you are and how this is what you want to be doing. I mean, that's just that alone. Congratulations. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me and letting me talk. Yeah. I don't get to talk this much at home. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you like this type of conversation with, with um, innovators like, like Sean, you know, where he, we release episodes typically on Tuesday. We've got many more on the way, and uh, and and we're just excited to to have these conversations and to be living in the world that we live in now. It's all positive. Um, and can can you believe the world we're living in now? I just think it's amazing and great. Um, and I've become very optimistic in my in my midlife, I guess. Uh, you've been listening to DTC Growth Hacking. My name's Rob McGray. Podcast is presented by Field Test. And uh, if you like it, please subscribe. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Sean. Thank you. This was a Field Test podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.